0: Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, and he walked this earth, and we've celebrated his birth, the incarnation. We've just come off of celebrating that. Uh, We've talked about how Jesus was and is different than any man that was ever born. His birth was unique. He was God in the flesh. He came into this world to live and did live a perfect life, uh, died a perfect death to make a imperfect people perfect and to give them eternal life. Jesus did that. He died. He rose again. He was resurrected. And uh, he returned after time here on earth. He returned bodily back to heaven where he awaits to return again. And so we have just celebrated the first coming of Christ. But on this Particular Sunday, I want to talk about the second coming of Jesus and remind us that Jesus Christ will come again. And so this morning, the title of the message is, Will Jesus Really Return? Will he really return? And if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at that and read that in just a moment. But Jesus said himself, in John 14, Jesus said, in John 14:3, he said, "I will come again." Jesus said that. Now I can take Jesus at His word, because a man who rose from the dead has got my attention. You may tell me something, and I will believe it, but I won't quite believe it like I will believe. Jesus who said what he said, and I can take him with confidence at his word. So when he says, I will come again, I believe that. I believe that that will happen. And that confidence, that bedrock understanding of the second coming of Christ was essential to the early church in the hope and the anticipation that this one that they walked with for three and a half years, that they saw Crucified, murdered with an illegal trial, and and they saw him resurrected. And when he ascended, or he returned back, and I say bodily because it wasn't a ghost, it wasn't an apparition, it wasn't just something you you know you just kind of saw when you know you you know through through some kind of uh, magic. But he was bodily resurrected. He bodily returned. Remember those angels said there in Acts chapter one, they the angel said. Men of Galilee, why are you gazing up into heaven? Do you not know that this same Jesus, not some nut who's got a webpage that says he's the Messiah, this same Jesus, do you not know that he will likewise return in the same manner, bodily return? And so that hope is called the blessed hope in Titus chapter 2. It's in Romans 8 it speaks about how even all creation because all of creation on earth was affected infected because of what we call what the bible calls sin man's rebellion rejection of god's authority it says in Romans 8 that all of creation longs for the coming of christ jesus said that in Matthew 25 that the climax of salvation history is when the Son of Man will return in His glory and sit on a throne. That speaks of rulership. The reason I'm belaboring this is because I believe that these are things that we are to take at face value with a literal understanding of how these things are to be. If the prophecies concerning, and you've heard me say this before, if the prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming were fulfilled literally, why not would we anticipate that prophecies concerning his second coming would not be taken literally, okay? So that's just good uh, Bible study 101 that we uh, need to be reminded of. It talks about in Ephesians 4.30 that it's a time of redemption for believers. It's also in Second Thessalonians 2, it's a time of judgment, you know, we, that's kind of not PC, you know. Judgment. Oh, no, no, no. We, we love the baby in the manger. But the Bible says that every knee, every knee shall bow. It doesn't mean every knee will, you know, look at it this way. You will either receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. You will bow the knee to him as Lord and Savior now. Or someday, if you re- reject him now, someday you will bow the knee to him as your judge. But every knee will acknowledge that He is Lord when He returns. It marks the beginning of Christ's earthly kingdom, Revelation 20 teaches. I recognize there's variations concerning, in the Christian understanding, concerning uh, a lot of the particulars concerning the return of Christ. But one thing there is universal agreement in relationship to those who believe the Bible is the Word of God is this, is that Jesus Christ will bodily return. Where there is some debate or some differences is in when, how, is it going to be, before the tribulation, is it going to be in the middle? Is it going to be after? I mean, there is legitimate differences within the house of Christianity concerning those issues. I, particularly, lean in a certain area, but I will never be dogmatic. But one thing I will be very dogmatic on, crystal clear, without any hesitancy, or is that Jesus Christ is coming again. That we can be sure. Now, to those of you who are here today who are not Christians, that should be a something of concern. Do you remember when you were in uh, maybe grade school or something and the teacher would uh, step out of the room? And she would say, now you stay in your seats and... Uh, I guess I ought to turn my timer on. How about that? See, it doesn't count till I turn it on. There you go. All right, so all that other is free. And she says, now, I want you to stay in your seats and not talk, or not talk loud maybe if she was really cool. You all right? And, of course, what would you do? You'd get out of your seats. You'd throw – you know, that was the time you'd go up and, you know, you'd – Until you started, if you had somebody, if you're really smart, you had somebody standing by the door. And when you begin to hear the footsteps coming down the hall, right? Guys, we are living in the time where the footsteps of the king of kings is walking down the hall. And if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, you're going to be in trouble. So this morning, as we talk about, will Jesus really return? I want us to embolden our confidence in the Word of God, be strengthened in our faith concerning Christ, and be reminded that the promises of Jesus returning are clear in Scripture. They're crystal clear. And it is also a means of comfort because we do not know what 2016 will look like. But he does. And as I quoted Galatians 4.4, 4, that in the fullness of time, Jesus has a schedule. The Father has a schedule. You remember in Acts 1, the disciples were very concerned after the, one that, the burning question they wanted to ask Jesus was about concerning the nature of his return. They said, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom of God to Israel? Now, I won't belabor that, but that tells me that theologically, they were on track with my understanding is that there will be a role for modern-day Israel in the second coming, that, in those issues there. Does that mean everything the political nation of Israel does is correct? No. Any more than everything that America does is correct. But there is a significance. You can't have certain events unfolding in Scripture if you do not have a nation of Israel, if you do not have some of these particulars involved there. But Jesus did not correct them and said, Oh, no, 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 don't believe that. You're wrong. All He said is, It is not for you to know the time, the seasons, the hour. Those are in the Father's hand. Those are... God's sovereign plan and prerogative, but you right now, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you and be filled with power because there's something that's got to take place before those events happen. And so the second coming of Jesus, John the Apostle said, is a hope that has a purifying value to it because... The Bible is more concerned that we become focused on how we should live, how our lives are to be in obedience to Christ, than worrying about do we have the timing and the scheme and all these things. Listen, don't get your theology about the second coming of Jesus through novels. There's a whole series, and I'm not saying those are necessarily bad, but... But listen, they are novels. Make sure that you're a student of Scripture. Read the Bible. Don't read fictional books and make that how are you gain your understanding about the Bible. Study the Bible. See if it lines up with the novels. I'm not saying those are bad necessarily. But if you do not have the discerning understanding of the Word of God... Well, you'll just think, because it's written in print, just like people believe anything they read on the Internet. If it's on the Internet, it must be true. One of my favorite little uh, things that somebody sent me was this quote, and it said, Do not believe everything that is written on the Internet, da-da-da, and it was quoted by Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) Again, it was tongue-in-cheek there, obviously. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says, of how we should, and we're going to get to 2 Peter, but listen to how the Apostle John, I said Paul, John, in 1 John 3, 2-3, through let me just read it, that the anticipation of the second coming of Christ should motivate us as believers to live and walk a life that is pleasing to the Lord, that should use and value our days and our time to that which is going to glorify and benefit the advancement of the gospel rather than the advancement of me. John says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, he says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we, what we will be like when Christ appears. So here even John is anticipating Christ appearing. He says, But we do know, That we will be like Him. Aren't you uh, excited? Can't even talk. Uh, That we'll be like Jesus. I'm not like Jesus right now. But one day I will be like Him. I only am partial, have that foretaste. But one day I will be like Christ. That this salvation, this... This gospel will be fulfilled and, and I will have a new body. I'll be glorified, the Bible says, and I will be literally like Christ. In every way, sin will be no more in my life. I'll be like Him. The things I struggle with today, the things that you struggle with, will be no more because I will be complete and perfect. Not just positionally, I will be physically Perfect, like Christ. That's what John is saying. All right, that's not my... I've got to quit preaching these verses. He says, but we do know that we will be like him. For we will see him as he really is. John says, we will really see him. And here's what I want you to listen to. 1 John 3, 3. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. His return should be a motivation for us to quit fooling around with sin. Quit justifying our sinful actions and our behavior because the footsteps are coming down the hall. And if we do not believe truly, that this Jesus, see, that's the reason the world will love the, loves the baby in the manger, because a baby's not a threat. They're not intimidated by a baby. But a king coming back with an army, sitting on a throne in authority, who will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to talk about that, Jesus. John says that should motivate us to live a life that is pleasing to him. Amen. Let's stand and read Second Peter. It'll be on the screen. Second Peter chapter 3. You can follow along on the screen. I hope you bring your Bibles because I might say something goofy and crazy and you need to check me out on that. And, uh, but if you don't know your Bibles, you can't do that. So i can be quoting to you from the Book of Mormon, and you might say, oh, that sounds good. Know your Bibles. Be students. Bring them. Uh, so, uh, but you may have a different version. We'll all get to the same place. But uh, we're going to read this, and you can follow with me. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder "...are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perish." He's talking about the flood. "...but by the same word from the same God, I would add, The heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you we can have confidence in a complete book that is without error. We thank you, God, that you have promised us that you will return again. And I pray that our confidence and our assurance and faith will grow as we hear the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So will Jesus really return? In this passage from Second Peter, I want you to notice three things this morning. In verses 3 through 4, I want you to see how Jesus' second coming is doubted. Jesus' second coming is doubted. There are those who doubt His return. Peter had to deal with a doubting uh, field, a doubting audience, those who were were questioning whether that was just something of make-believe or myth. Now, remember... These apostles they 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 live with Jesus they saw him crucified they saw him resurrected uh, first in first John he says we testify aright to you that which we've seen what we've touched what we've heard in other words this is real so they're not writing of some fantasy and as I have said before if they were just writing of some fantasy every one of them except John who died of old age in in uh, prison, on exile on the island of Patmos, all of them were murdered because of their faith. So if there was doubt, and they didn't really believe, and this resurrection thing was just something they concocted, and, and it was all a big fantasy, it doesn't stand to reason that any one of them wouldn't spill the beans. But they write with a sense of assurance, and I hope that we have, we sense that. So when somebody would doubt... And scoff and mock, obviously, there are those today and concerning a lot of things concerning Christ. But Peter sheds some light on these doubters. And he talks about how they have certain characteristics. Notice in verse 3, their character. Verse 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, mockery, making fun, light. First of all, it tells me that Peter identified the last days, that there are last days. And he says that one of the ways that you will know we are getting closer and closer to the last days is there will be a heightened mockery concerning Christianity. You know, it's politically incorrect, as we see more and more, not to offend a Muslim. But Christians are fair game. Our culture, if it went to the same extent to protect the identity of Christians from the media and the public front, the field, to not mock Christianity, but they will go to great lengths not to show a cartoon of the prophet of Islam. By the way, it's a non-profit religion. Uh, Just a little free joke there. Don Feeder, who is a Jewish conservative, said this as he identifies America as pagan America. Listen to what he says, and tell me if you do not agree with this. He says, Christians are the only group Hollywood can offend with impunity. The only creed it actually goes out of its way to insult are Christians. Clerics, whether they be fundamentalist preachers to Catholic monks, are routinely represented as hypocrites, hucksters, sex addicts, sadists. The tenets of Christianity are regularly held up for mockery and ridicule. It's just the way it is. If you've ever listened to somebody like a Bill Maher, you know that that's all fair game. To make fun. And I don't mean just satire. But I'm talking about ridiculing even the most uh, vile ways concerning Jesus as a person. And yet, our entire culture and system is, leans into protecting, which again, I, I, I'm all for protecting everyone. But why are Christians set up for a certain level of mockery? The conduct, the character... But notice, secondly, the conduct, part of verse 3, following their own sinful desires. Well, it shouldn't surprise us because it is motivated from a, a mockery, is motivated because of those who do not want to acknowledge the truth of God. They do not want to acknowledge that what God's word says, what Jesus said, His word is true. There is a rebellion, there is a mockery there. Jesus said this, interestingly, in Matthew 24. He said, speaking of Matthew 24, you know, is one of those key pivotal chapters concerning the second coming. And he says that one of the identifiers of the times prior to the coming, of, that his return, he says, they will be like, it will be like the days of Noah. What, are the day, what were the days of Noah like? It was so bad, God decided to hit the reset button. He said, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware, unaware until... The flood came and swept them all away. And he says, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He liked that title from the book of Daniel. Men love their sin. People love their sin too much to turn their lives over to Christ. Jesus, or John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil in John 1. So why do they deny the idea that Christ would return? Is because they do not acknowledge his authority or his life or so why would they acknowledge something like that? You remember in Romans chapter 1 it speaks about when it's speaking about sinful humankind, it says not only do they know the truth but they deliberately suppress the truth. Kind of always have this picture. You ever talk to somebody? Hopefully, you've never done this. Probably have because I have. Not recently, but you put your fingers in your ears. Da 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 da! I can't hear what you're saying. You ever do that as a kid? Hopefully, you didn't do that last week. Um, they suppress. I don't. I don't want to know the truth. Don't tell me. That's the way our world and culture is. It is flying off the cliff. No, let me say this. It is racing towards the bridge that drops off into the abyss and they're running every red light, every sign. I don't care because I want to get to where I want to go. That is the job of us. As Part of it is to proclaim the good news, but part of our job in proclaiming Scripture is also to warn, to warn. The bridge is out. There's no hope. You will die. You will perish. Well, Jesus really... Let me give you one more verse 4 real quick. Not only is their character and conduct illustrated, but notice Peter talks about their complaint, verse 4. They will say... Where is the promise of his coming? Kind of in a, you know, in other words, they say, look, the world's kind of really hasn't changed much since the beginning. It's things just continue as they are. And this idea that Jesus is going to come and intervene in this planet, that just doesn't make sense. That's, we can't buy into that. But notice, secondly, not only is the second coming of Christ doubted. But secondly, in verses 5 through 7, we see that Jesus' second coming is something that is determined in Scripture. His second coming is determined. Peter reminds us and even notes these critics, verse 5, and I alluded to this, where they deliberately overlook. They deliberately overlook. As a kid, I was known for being able to get trash piled on the kitchen trash can without being the one to take it out. Do you have anybody like that in your family? You know, you will teeter that one little McDonald's Big Mac box there. You know, just balance it off so you're not the one that has to take it out, you know? In other words, I deliberately overlook the obvious. I just kind of deliberately went by, I didn't want to... That's what, that's the way our culture is. They deliberately choose to ignore and reject any truth. The Bible says that God is committed to His Word, that what He says will come to pass. The psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, Your Word is is firmly fixed in the heavens. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say unto you. That means underline it, bold, type, highlight it. When Jesus says a double truly, truly, that really in the Greek is amen, amen. We put amen at the end of our... Jesus says, amen, amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away... Not an iota or not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. God is bound and committed to His word. That what He has said, what He has promised, He is bound to bring it forth. And so Peter says there's three instances here in verses 5 through 7... When God has and will stepped into time. Now, remember the scoffers and the mockers are saying, wait a minute, everything has just gone on the way it's always gone on. But that's not true. The creator of the universe has directly intervened in the affairs of this planet. Three instances. And that's what happens when you get your pages out of order. There we go. Thank you, Joe. page 10. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> Look at verse 5. What, no, the, the formation of the world. He made the earth. He created the earth. Verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. That tells me that Peter, an apostle, affirmed the literal creation of, by God as recorded in Genesis 1 and chapter 2. He affirmed that God created the earth. And even if you believe in some type of massive blob that banged out of nothing, you're still back to... That's illogical. Because even the bang has got to have a banger. Show me anywhere where nothing made something. You know, they say, well, scientists have created life in the laboratory. No, they have not. They have used existing materials and matter to make something. God created the heavens out of and the earth by His Word. Nothing was in existence except God. You say, I don't understand that. you got to pass, you're in. Nobody understands it. Our little pea brains to try to rationally understand, but you tell me what is more illogical, that nothing made something versus believing that at the very least an intelligent designer created what we see. That's Paul's argument in Romans chapter. One, when he says, Look, everyone is without excuse before God because what can be made known of God and understood by God is clearly seen by what is created. You look at our universe, you look at the birth of babies, the, the birth and, and the, the seasons, and all the, and you see orderliness. You see orderliness in creation. You look at the, 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 the existence of the micro, you know, cells and all those things, and you, you see a, a, a unique, look at DNA. I mean, when you begin to study science, it doesn't push me away from God. It pushes me more to say, God, only God could come up with this. It increases my faith that there was a creator who designed, There's not a molecule, there's not a cell running independent, there's not a rogue cell running somewhere that everything does not operate out of total conformity to the one that made it and designed it. Peter is saying, just look at the creation and how God acted in that. Also, he talks about the flood. Here's another example he says, God intervened when sin was was so horrendous that this flood that covered the entire earth in Noah's day that and in Noah's day God told this man Noah to do what build an ark because it's going to rain they you know they have probably never even seen rain because of the uh and again the water table and the the canopy that uh, many scientists believe that collapsed and covered the earth the way that the earth was watered again speculating a little bit through some healthy science and bible understanding there but the bible says in hebrews 11:6 by faith noah being warned by god concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. What's Peter's point there? His point is, is saying, look, God intervened when he created the earth. He intervened again to deal and judge the evil and the sin. And, and, and with this flood that happened, that as a result of that, he, there was a restart because of the way that sinful man has rebelled against God. And then he says, look, there's coming a day, verse 7... He says, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So Peter is saying, almost like an attorney, based upon the past evidence of what God has done just by these two examples, do not think that these words that God says that He will act in judgment, do not take those lightly, those of you who scoff and mock the word of the Lord. Peter's warning is clear. God has kept the universe for the day of judgment and the destruction of those who refuse to bow the knee to Christ as lord but we're still talking about this coming is determined by god and we have the confidence of what god has said by his word jesus witness number 1 jesus said let your hearts not be troubled believe in god Believe also in me, for in my father's house are many mansions, the King James, many rooms. He said, if it were not so, would I have told you? But listen, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You reject that; you're rejecting Jesus Christ. It's that simple. He would testify in Revelation 22:20. 20, he said, "Surely I am coming soon." Angels, I alluded to mention of them earlier in Acts chapter one, where they said this same Jesus will return back. Paul in First Thessalonians says that for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus is returning, meeting the Lord in the air. and John says, Behold, he is coming. With the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back in judgment, they will ask the rocks to fall on them to protect them from this baby in the manger. The question is, will Jesus really return? There are doubters. His coming has been determined, and finally, we see in verses 8 through 9, Jesus' second coming is delayed. What does his delay reveal about God? Well, first, yes, verse 8, the patience of God. Look at verse 8 of Second Peter chapter 3. But do, not, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Now, I, I'm not sure that that's intending for us to do end times calculations based, okay, a day is a thousand, you know, and then all of a sudden we get down, and we know that Jesus is going to return in September 3rd, 2016. How many of you, I want to ask how many of you bought those books, because I suspect some of you love that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, date setting never works out. Date setting never works out. Don't waste your money. Give your money to me, okay? <laughs> if you got money to blow on stupid paperback books, let me give it to me, and I'll buy you something good. How about that? Okay, I'll buy you something worth reading. Anybody that's getting in, I remember this one guy. In fact, uh, how many remember a man by the name of Harold Camping? Owns a lot of radio. I don't know how he owns any in Florida or whatever, but he's big in the West Coast and the mid you know, East or whatever. And he had a talk radio program on for about two hours every night. And he had a very drawn-out voice. You know, he was very... And you found yourself like, oh, that's... And then all of a sudden, you're like listening to him for an hour, and you're like... Uh, and he was... He... I mean, he... I mean, he had written... They think, you know, if I write a big, thick book, it must be true. No, you know, it may be just a bunch of nonsense written over and over again. That's... And so he had nailed it down to when the year and the time to the point that people... This is in the past 10, 15 years. That people sold houses and they gave all their money to his ministry or did this so they could travel. They paid for billboards. I mean, they put everything on the line. And you know what's sad? The world doesn't know the difference between him and you or me that they just think those Christians are just stupid. They're just stupid. God has his own timetable. The reason I brought up camping is because I remember I was on driving back one night from Chicago when I lived in Illinois, and I was listening to him, and of course somebody called up and they'd asked him this before, maybe I'd never heard it, and they said uh, Brother Camping, doesn't the Bible say that no one knows the day of the hour? Well, that is true. But it doesn't say they can't know the month or the year. <laughs> that literally was his answer. I about drove off the side of the road. I was just... Uh... In other words, this is all Peter's trying to get across. God has his own schedule. God has his own timetable. Don't be worried and fixated about times, dates, seasons. You be focused on living and, exp- and just <laughs> living life for the gospel. That's where your focus should be. He talks about the patience of God, but also verse 9 talks about the plan of God. Not only God's calendar, but God's counsel. Verse 9, look at verse 9 with me. The Lord is not slow concerning to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But is patient toward you. You. He is patient toward you. Who are the you's? Well, if you go back to read how Peter started his letter, in chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, He's writing to those who have, anybody there? Obtained a faith. So who's he patient towards? Believers. Believers. He's addressing believers. This isn't a track for unbelievers. This is to encourage believers. And the you are those who have obtained a faith. God's plan and his order is part of his counsel. God is not a slacker. God has a purpose and a plan. Paul would even write this. And I just, I know you can't look up all these verses, just listen. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, he said, it talks about uh, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. That speaks of a time that's reaching fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head. Paul's talking about this culmination when everything will be under the authority of Christ. And then he says in that same thought, verse 11, in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity With the purpose of his will. So that means the chaos around you. God is working out all things in conformity to his will. I want to get in on what his will is. I want to quit bucking that will and get in on that will. Where I have my troubles is when I'm trying to be more interested in my will. But thy will be done. In verse 9 also, why is he delayed? Yeah, it is for us, but let's not get out of balance here. Look at the latter part of verse 9. Not wishing that any should Perish. perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's compassion Why does God delay his return? Why does he tarry? Why does he, my friend, we say, oh, I wish Jesus would have come now. I wish he'd come today. Well, think about those loved ones, friends, family that would perish to hell if Jesus came back now. Why does he delay his heart of compassion is not desiring that any should perish, but that they should. Doesn't mean they will, but they should reach repentance, that those would hear the gospel, be exposed to the truth of Scripture. That's why Jesus came. He came to die, as we said on Christmas Eve, for God's soul of the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. He delays His coming, delays His judgment, giving opportunity to you, some of you here today who are not believers. Just because you're born in America and you're here today, you know, that doesn't make you a believer. You're a believer when you receive the gift of what God has done in Christ and you put your trust in him and you live your life in trusting him and taking him at his word and saying, I want to live this life of Christ and I want to receive the forgiveness that God has provided for me in Jesus. And I am trusting him every day and I am walking and I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm trying to expand my understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. God's a God of mercy and grace. And so what have we said today? The word of God tells us to not be discouraged nor influenced by the doubters. You today, Bible, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Be strengthened in faith. Commit yourself to 2016, to, to knowing Him, knowing Him through His Word. We need to remember that His return has been determined by God. It's verified in His Word. If you do not believe the Bible is the Word of God, then that won't give you much confidence. But if you believe that this book is uh, gives us an understanding of God's ways and his purpose. How do I know God? Because I see God's working through thousands of years of history and people. And and I see that God's purposes that are determined are fulfilled. So this great culmination of history with Jesus returning, why would it not be fulfilled? Because God spoke it. So a word to the doubters. The word is determined by God and his delay is not because he's forgotten us or abandoned his promises. It is because of what he said in First Peter 2, 4, that he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, we know the night before Christmas, and some of you have probably heard this or seen this, but I want to close in reading this. Instead of the night before Christmas, someone wrote, "'Twas the night before Jesus came." "'Twas the night before Jesus came, and all through the house, not a creature was praying, not one in the house. Their Bibles were laying on the shelf without care, in hopes that Jesus would not come there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed, not once ever kneeling or bowing ahead. And mom in her rocker with baby on her lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but angels proclaiming that Jesus was here. What a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray. I knew in a moment this must be the day. The light of his face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning, just like he had said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the book of life, which he held in his hand, was written the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name. When he said, it's not here, my head hung in shame. The people whose names had been written with love, he gathered to take to his father above. With those who were ready, he rose without a sound, while all the rest were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long, and this sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Oh, if only I had been ready tonight. In the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is drawing near. There's only one life, and when comes the last call, we'll find that the Bible was true after all.